School's back. Pre-K to 12th grade. In person, mostly full capacity. After nearly a year and a half of Zoom lectures and uncertainty if normal or some idea of normal would ever return. But students are coming back after a summer break where the Delta variant exploded. And families are worried whether their kids will be safe at school. I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today is Tuesday, August 17th, 2021. President Biden defends a withdrawal of American troops from Afghanistan as the Taliban continues to solidify its power. New York City and Washington, D.C. will require health workers to get vaccinated against COVID-19. And a 100-year-old woman has entered the Guinness Book of World Records as the oldest female powerlifter around. Meanwhile, you can't even deadlift your groceries. Today, we talk to LA Times reporters about the full reopening of schools, which will affect millions of families in California and beyond. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have mostly okayed this with the provision that everyone should mask up in schools and make sure that everyone aged 12 and older get vaccinated against COVID-19. But what happens if your kids are younger than that? How about if they develop symptoms or come in contact with someone who tested positive for COVID-19? For all those questions and more, we have with us today LA Times education reporter Howard Bloom and science reporter Amina Khan. Welcome to The Times, the two of you. Thank you. It's good to be here. California Governor Gavin Newsom issued a mandate that requires all teachers and other school employees be vaccinated against COVID-19 by October 15th or be subjected to regular tests for the disease. So what are the latest stats? We are seeing a significant increase in hospitalizations, particularly in states where People are unvaccinated. Kids are basically as safe as the adults around them. So if the adults around them are not, you know, practicing safe behaviors and exposing themselves to COVID, then kids, because those under 12 can't get vaccinated, are going to be extra vulnerable. And so I think that's part of the reason um, that we're seeing what we're seeing. Um, A lot of people are probably in different states are probably really fatigued with um, rules. And that's coming at a really bad time, given that um, Delta Um, looks to be um, roughly two times, maybe slightly more transmissible than um, earlier versions of the virus. That's not a good thing, right? It's catching more people, including children. Now, very few children, luckily, get seriously sick from the virus, okay? It's rare that they die. But if the virus is casting a wider net, then they're also picking up more of those kids that are likely to end up in the hospital, right? Are likely to have serious cases. So that's sort of what's Um, what a lot of researchers think is going on. Yeah, you don't want the kids to get COVID. You don't want to get COVID as an adult as well. Avoid the COVID. (laughs) And one concern that has always been in place, and this is really why schools were closed down in the first place, is that there's concern over schools become a vector for the infection propagating. And it can also work the other way, that schools can be managed so safely that they almost become a reverse vector because you have your kids spending much of the day in an environment that may be safer than the environment they would otherwise be in. I mean, that's the hope in the mitigation measures at school. Now, we, we do have some data arriving out of summer school in Los Angeles Unified. And what we know is that 
the case numbers, because they were testing everybody every week in summer school, and only about one out of every 10 students in the district attended summer school, we know that the cases really shot up over July. I mean, like six, seven, eight-fold. So in terms of percentage increase, it was huge. But the good news is that the total number of cases was tiny, even after that huge multi-fold increase, it was a tiny number of cases. And the number of cases that were suspected of being transmitted at the campus were very small, much smaller still. And in the last week of July, in the county as a whole, there were seven outbreaks in one week at youth-related activities. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it was the biggest number since December. But in almost all of those cases, it was related to poor practices. In other words, they didn't send somebody home who had symptoms. They weren't wearing masks. So the good news is that schools, it appears, can be operated safely. And people have to be vigilant about that, just the way that parents right now check to see if their kids have done their homework, that they've gotten ready for bed, that they get a good night's sleep. Now you also have to be vigilant about safety practices, both in terms of what your kids are doing, but also what the school is doing. What are school districts or even California's government doing to make sure that there are some protocols? Because you mentioned that it's you had those outbreaks and the outbreaks seem to be because there were no safety protocols being practiced. So what's being done to ensure that they are? You know what? I have to be honest here. I don't think a whole lot is being done. I think most of this is on the honor system because I don't see how our local health departments have the capacity to do a lot of proactive policing. What they're trying to do is a lot of education and make sure people understand what the practices are and the importance of following them. And then after that, they're trying to record what the outbreaks are. You're supposed to record every outbreak. So if a kid walks into campus and has an infection, that's gonna be reported to the county health department. Also, if somebody gets an infection while at the school, that's going to be reported in another category. And then if there's an outbreak, that's investigated by the county. And once that happens, then they notify the close contacts. And if something can be improved at that school, they work on that. So it's education, it's diligence, and some of it is after the fact, but also People want to do the right thing, by and large. They want to stay safe. They want to run safe environments. So you do have that going for you, and and the county is just doing the best it can to keep up. We'll be back after this break. Amina, what are some of the most important measures that schools and parents can take to mitigate risks? Yeah, um, so there's a number of uh, measures that I think scientists can really get behind. The first one is masks. Masks are really important. Um, They are extremely effective at reducing transmission of the virus. Now, um, Howard, from what I understand, uh, I think you mentioned that there aren't any specific requirements for the type of mask that kids have to wear. But the science says, so far, the best thing for you to do is to have a double mask right? So that's either like a mask with a, with a pocket for a filter that you can change out or a surgical mask, like plain old disposable surgical mask, and you put a cloth mask on top of that. Having that double layer significantly reduces the risk of transmission. I'm always excited when people mention that. It's called the Swiss cheese approach where you have multiple layers. So the holes uh, get stopped at various layers. Gustavo was really excited about that. He's combining his foodie personality with his his, uh, hard news journalism personality in one metaphor. But yes, the, the idea is that 
there's no hole that goes all the way through the Swiss cheese. And at some point in that Swiss cheese, you're going to hit a barrier and not be able to go all the way through. And so none of these methods are perfect, but you'll find something we hope that will block that virus from going through. So yeah, despite all those protections, breakthrough infections are inevitable. So to both of you, what would be any plans for potential outbreaks at schools that these districts are already having? Well, they are going to decide what's going to happen in collaboration with the county. First of all, they are going to find infections. They're already finding infections, and they're sending kids with infections home to quarantine. They have to be tested. In LA Unified, everybody, and actually Santa Monica is doing this. I think Glendale Unified is doing this. There's going to be testing of everybody every week. More and more districts are doing that, and in a lot of cases, it's whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated. But if you have an infection, they send you home. If they determine you're a close contact, you get called, you might get sent home as well. And you might not be able to return until you get a negative coronavirus test. So if you're just a close contact, you're not gonna be home for as long as you have the infection. But, but that's pretty much it. I mean, closing down a whole classroom or a school, they see that as something close to a last resort. It could happen, but they're trying not to do that. For parents out there, Howard, I think a lot of them must be wondering, yeah, if a kid tests positive for COVID-19, what are they entitled to know? They may not be entitled to know that much, to be honest. The health department knows all, but you will know if, for one thing, your test came back positive, positive being a bad thing, and you will also know if someone in authority has determined that you are a close contact. And the general definition of a close contact is, what, uh, 15 or 20 minutes with an infected person within six feet of an infected person, right? Now, there are lots of questions about what makes a close contact. Does it matter if you have masks on? Does it matter if you were inside or outside for those minutes? Do they have to be consecutive minutes or are they additive over the course of the day? I mean, how does a school track whether you were with an, near an infected person for two minutes early in the day, three minutes later, 10 minutes later on. So it gets pretty complicated. And I think school districts are being a little vague in how they do some of this because they want some flexibility and they don't want everybody second guessing them. So they're being a little nonspecific sometimes, although being nonspecific is also causing a lot of people to second guess them. A lot of this uh, vagueness is problematic, but and, and one of the other things that I've heard at least one researcher say is, does Delta change the um, definition of close contact given that it is more infectious? I don't know, right? I'm, I'm not sure. But I mean, there's a lot of variables that go into that. And, you know, granted, this is a moving target, but it, it would be nice. I, th I feel like a lot of parents probably would like to have a little bit more certainty. You know, I asked um, a researcher today, like, what, what should parents ask about? She said, well, they think, you know, make sure that the kids are masked. Um, the other thing you can look for is to see if there's like proper ventilation in your um, classrooms. So are there windows that can be opened? Um, is there um, an HVAC, like, a, you know, AC with a, with a proper filtration system? Because the, the main way that COVID spreads is um, through the air, either through respiratory droplets or smaller um, aerosol particles. So those are, those are kind of the most important things. Um, there are um, a lot of efforts I'm sure we've seen to deep clean and sanitize. Um, there's not a lot of evidence that um, the coronavirus is transmitted 
through uh, surface to sur- you know surface contact where people touch the same shared surfaces. So I mean, it's you know I I talked to um, a researcher today and she said you know well it's fine if they do it, but um, she recalled um, one school where balls were being sanitized in between different children using them. And she's like, you know, when it gets to that point, it may not be like a great use of time or resources. So the important thing is to focus mostly on like, what are the modes of airborne transmission and just keep an eye out for whether, you know, your school seems to be um, up on that. So for parents, those are probably the things to look for. So kids could probably still play Red Rover, Red Rover, send Johnny come over, however that game used to go. Oh, I don't even know how that game goes. Remember, you have the kids holding hands and they'll say, run Rover, run Rover. The kid runs and tries to break through the linked hands. That's a good question, because that's actually different from um, shared surfaces, because then that's direct hand-to-hand contact. Yeah, I, I think a lot of parents would freak out if they knew their kids were playing that game. You certainly wouldn't want to play that game indoors. And And one thing they stress is that there's no physical distancing requirement at the moment, but they still say people should be distanced as much as possible, which again is that vagueness. So it's, you know, no set physical distancing requirement, but they still think it has some value. And that gets to the next question I want to ask is, how is quote unquote back to normal going to look like at schools? I mean, are you going to have the things that made school school assemblies, rallies, uh, you know, being in classrooms like group projects, Either of you talking to experts who are telling you how it's going to look? I think it's not going to look, it's not going to be very normal that way. But you have to consider what the alternative will be. I mean, it's a pain to wear a mask. In situations where I've had to wear a mask all day or had to exercise, you know, that is a, that is a real pain. And where I've had to t- do some teaching of my own in a mask, it's hard to do. And especially to have a mask on all day. And you have to have that physical distancing you eat outdoors, it may rain. I mean, you know, it's a pain, but look at the alternative. The alternative is to have no school in person at all. And there are are consequences to that also. Social isolation, inferior academic progress. And so considering the alternative, this might be a lot better, but is it back to normal? No, definitely not back to normal. Yeah, um, I I haven't spoken to a lot of uh, kids about this. I will say I know uh, plenty of researchers who are chomping at the bit to get their kids back in school. (laughs) So, um, but, you know, it was interesting because I think my colleague, Melissa Gomez, um, actually went and interviewed um, a bunch of students. And it kind of seemed like a lot of them had gotten used to wearing masks um, far better than a lot of us adults have. Um, And there was one... Um, student athlete that she um, interviewed who said, you know, it's given me an edge in some ways because it's improved my stamina because I now know how to like, you know, play with a mask on. And I was like, wow, I mean, that's, that's a pretty impressive attitude. And I think a lot of us adults could learn from that, myself included. Um, but I think that, that, you know, that means that kids know what the risks are and what the trade-offs are, and they're willing to make those trade-offs so that they can be in school. And, you, and so I think that the, the new normal will start to feel maybe a little bit more normal as the school year progresses. That's my hope. I, I have no scientific predictions for that, but like that, that's what I'm crossing my fingers for. Out of the mouth of babes goes a saying. What will the two of you be following closely as the school year starts and as it starts rolling all the way up until winter break? Well, one thing we have to look at is the amount of disruption because 
we don't know how pervasive the Delta variant is going to be within the community and how for how long it is going to be that prevalent. And if we have kids quarantining all the time, classrooms being shut down, maybe even schools being shut down, then under the worst case scenario, there, there's something's going to be have, have to be done to provide online education of a superior quality than is planned for. Because one thing that we didn't talk about is what's the alternative to going back? There is an alternative. There's an online alternative, but you don't get as much live instructional time. You have to, in essence, leave your school and go to a different online school with kids you don't know, teachers you don't know. So it's not that attractive. You also have to fill out a 20-page master agreement on this process. In fact, you know, LA Unified has made it a bit of a pain not to come back because they want people to come back. And, you know, they're not alone in this because they feel that for the vast majority of students, they need to be back. But what happens if this variant is so prevalent that school is really disruptive? And, and then another thing we're going to be following is indeed the quality of that online offering for the students who choose it or who need to be on it because they are immunocompromised, they have somebody at home who's very susceptible to illness. I'm going to be really interested to see how, um, I mean, not to sound grim, but how many kids um, end up getting infected with the coronavirus. Because, I mean, there's been some interesting predictions out there. There was a researcher, um, I think it's Julie Swan at North Carolina State University, made some pretty eye-opening predictions. She said that, you know, without masking in schools, Within three months, you know, an additional 70% of, um, I think it was like elementary school kids could be infected with the coronavirus, according to her model. Masks cut that down significantly. Other measures, like some of the ones we've discussed, cut that down significantly. Vaccinations and also partial or like some kind of immunity from previous coronavirus infections, as many kids have gotten them at this point, um, might might bring that number down as well. But like the, the fact that that's sort of like the, the high number, if in worst case scenario, kind of uh, really threw me for a loop. And as an education reporter, I should note that we will be looking at the effects on education of a year out of school. Now, not out of school entirely, but a year of learning from home remotely. We're not sure what the learning loss has been. There's some early research that suggests, uh, people hate the term learning loss. Uh, they prefer the term unfinished learning because people learned something. They didn't go backwards, but they didn't keep pace. A lot of experts feel with what they would have learned in the classroom. So there's the question of what that effect was and also what you do about it, how you measure it, what you do about it, and how effectively school districts are marshalling the resources to help students recover and proceed from there. Thank you both of you for this conversation. Happy to do it. Thanks, good to be here. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, we do another crossover episode with our sibling podcast, The Envelope. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Melissa Kaplan, and Marina Peña. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb. Our intern is Ashley Brown. And our theme music is by Andrew Epen. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news in this madre. Gracias. <laughs>